0: This is the 11th of the uh, minor prophets, the 11th in order, if you start the beginning to the end, Malachi is the last one right after Zechariah, Uh, but we are finishing this up, this series that we've been going through, majoring on the minors, and we saved this one to the very last uh, because of a few things, that there's a summation that we have in the book of Zechariah that is absolutely amazing to me, thankful that... God has given every part of his word, but he gives us so many parts. We're going to be reading the very first few verses of this chapter, and then we'll be skipping around to a few different places. But Zechariah chapter number one, verse number one is where we're going to begin. And uh, a lot of people said, well, Brother Shane, why were you going through and uh, going through the uh, passages there and the minor prophets? Well, number one, I feel like the Lord was just leading me in that direction to be able to preach out of that. So first and foremost, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. That is the first and foremost thing that we should do. Secondly of all, there's a lot of times that people don't look into these minor prophets very much. They don't read through these books of the minor prophets because so many times people say, well, that's confusing and that's difficult and prophecy is so uh, scary to me. Uh, I'm reminded, Brother Steve, of a story that I heard one lady, uh, a young lady or an elderly lady was driving down the road, but a police officer had set up one of those uh, speed traps. Y'all know those speed traps that, you know, they're just waiting for you to come over the hill. And uh, he had that radar gun set up, and, and uh, he, he was shooting all these folks just looking at him. And then all of a sudden, uh, everybody was doing pretty good, Brother Jerry. But then uh, somebody topped the hill, and it was an elderly lady, and she was driving 22 miles an hour. And he thought, well, the speed limit's 55, so I don't know why in the world she might be driving 22 miles an hour. So I'm going to go ahead and investigate. So he pulled over, the state trooper pulled this elderly lady over that had four of her friends, five total of them, in the car. He pulled them over and said, uh, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you, I just want to know, why are you not driving the speed limit? He, she said, well, young man, I'm all due respect, I am doing the exact speed limit that that sign said. And he said, well, ma'am, I know we're on Highway 22, but that's not what we're supposed to be driving. The speed limit is actually 55. And she said, well, I'm so sorry. I, don't, I, don't under, I didn't understand that. I apologize. And he kept looking at everybody, but Steve, because everybody was kind of like had these deer in the headlights, like, scared looks. All of her friends was just horrified and want to know, well, why in the world are, are y'all, I just got to ask, why do y'all look so afraid? Why are y'all scared? She said, well, we just got off of Highway 119. And a lot of times people have those looks in their faces. When you begin to talk about prophecy, they have this scary look. And prophecy is not a scary thing. Prophecy is an amazing, wonderful thing that we have that God has given to us. Now, in the day of Zechariah, we see that in Zechariah, he was prophesying for a day future. 500 years before the Lord Jesus Christ ever stepped foot on the earth in a a bodily form and he was not there uh, uh, during this time and so he was prophesying 500 years before 520 BC around that time and and he was looking forward to the messiah was coming the messiah was coming the messiah was coming and fortunately we have the fact that the messiah has already come we have seen the risen savior We have seen the crucified Savior. We have seen the one that uh, came and was uh, born in a a little stall and then lived 33 and a half perfect years and was rejected by mankind and nailed and pierced to a cross. But thank God, three days later, got up from the grave and arose. Glory to God. And now we're looking forward to a day when Jesus is coming again. And I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming again. Zechariah also prophesies the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in his first time, but the second time that he will come, the second advent, as we look at it. I want you to look with me in Zechariah chapter number 1. Look with me, Zechariah chapter number 1, verse number 1, what the Bible says this. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, I commanded, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as unto the Lord of hosts thought us unto, uh, to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. When we look at those very first six verses in the book of Zechariah, we see something that's happening. It's a call to repentance And everything that every time one of these minor prophets has a call for repentance, and I believe that the repentance call is still needed even today. The call for repentance, even among the people of God, we need to repent from our ways. We need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to go and turn back to God. And God promises that he will turn back to us and turn to us. And that's a promise that we have. But Zechariah, when we begin to look at that, the Bible says this, or that Zechariah means this. It means the Lord remembers to be honest with you, this is only, this is only fitting why because once again, the subject at hand, that God recalls what the people of God are going through, that what Israel and Judah have been going through, Jerusalem specifically is mentioned, and God knows and God sees and God understands what is happening in each and every one of their lives. And this was a, during a time, if you begin to look in a time frame, a time of Ezra. Haggai was preaching during that time. Zechariah was preaching and he was called. Now, I love this fact that there's two preachers that's called by God. To preach the same message. You say, well, what if, what if I want to preach a different message? The calling of God is to preach the salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ upon us right now. And so therefore, if a preacher not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, cos- the gospel that God has called us to go- uh, preach, then he is not preaching any gospel at all. He's not preaching the gospel that, or the message that God has given to him. And we need to first and foremost preach that that is exactly what it is. And he encourages the people. He's telling them to to look back in the presence of God and look at the presence of God and to look for brighter days ahead because there's a better day coming. Thank God that we have a better day. Boy, if if this is all we had to look forward to, Paul says that we'd just be miserable men. We would be so miserable that uh, why would we even want to desire to go on and continue this way? But he's encouraging those people and he points to them in rebuilding the temple. And just as Haggai did, but this tells them to, to consider the attitude. Now, this is dangerous. A lot of times, a lot of people will say, I'm doing what God wants me to do. But they're not doing it with the right attitude. Attitude. And God looks at the heart and the attitude in which we are doing. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're serving God begrudgingly, then I don't think we're getting very much credit for that. If we're serving God out of habit or we're serving God out of, well, this is what my mom and my dad and my grandma and my grandpa taught me to do, then we're not serving God for the right reasons. But we're serving God in in an empty way in the attitude in which we're supposed to be doing. And he's encouraging the people of God, you need to rebuild, rebuild the temple of God. The results were great, as a matter of fact, Brother Kyle as a matter of fact, the results were so awesome that within five years of these men preaching Zechariah, Haggai and the people of Ezra uh, Ezra began to preach, within five years that temple was being able to be rebuilt but one of the things overall, the prophecy of Zechariah was an uplifting prophecy Look forward to the good days. Look forward to what you have to look forward to. Rebuild the temple and enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy what God has for you. There's a great day that's coming. But I want you to turn with me if you can, and I hope you can real quickly. Turn to Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter number 23. Look at verse number 35 with me. Matthew chapter number 23, verse number 35. Let me try to get through this myself. Matthew chapter number twenty three, verse number twenty five. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup of and uh, the planters, but within they are full of exhortations. Excuse me, and excess. But for, sure, look at verse number thirty five with me. Go down to little verse number thirty five, and it says this: that upon your uh, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. And from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barakas, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. So this is information, Brother Joel, that we have that's in the New Testament that Jesus Christ says that, this man was slain for whatever reason. We're not really sure why he would be uh, uh, slain there between the temple and the altar. Why he would, that would happen. Why did the people turn on him? Because the message that he was was look to greater days, look for better days, look at what. But at some point, somebody didn't like what he had to say. And he suffered and he died just because he was a prophet of God. But apparently we go through this and you begin to say in chapter number two, it actually says in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter number two, verse number four, that he was called a young man. Now, as we studied through in the book of Haggai, Haggai was probably an elderly man. And once again, there's two preachers that are sent to call and to be able to preach and preach repentance and repeat, preach the returning and rebuilding of the temple. And they were preaching the same message that we have. And then uh, most likely Haggai was identifying with the elder group of people. And Zechariah was identifying with a younger group of people. Because that's just how people kind of mix and mingle. That they'll go together. And Haggai being the elder man and Zechariah being the younger man was uh, encouraging one. But the message, it didn't matter how old, what the message was. They could have been a hundred years old apart, but yet the message is still the same. The message is continuing on to go through that. That message is that. I'll be honest with you. We all have preferences. We all have favorite people to listen to. Let's just be honest. We all have favorites. But as long as the message is Jesus Christ, the message is salvation. Salvation. The message is what we have. We all need to make sure that we are praying for those people that are uh, preaching that message. That message is the same. And the day is the same thing that we have. It's a powerful king that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. It's divided up real quickly. I'm trying to get through this. But real quickly, if you go through, there's four messages really mainly that you begin to see in Zechariah. We've already read the first six verses of chapter number one. Chapter number one, verses one through six. You see a call to repentance. Repentance. And then when you get to chapter number one, verse number seven, all the way through chapter number six, you see eight different visions that begin to occur that was given in a very short amount of time to Zechariah, And then in chapter number seven and eight, you get to something else. You get to questions that they must have had. And most likely Zechariah was a priest and they had questions about this. What about fasting? What about giving? What about the future that we have? How are we supposed to do these things? And then when you get to chapter number 9 through 14, you see an amazing thing, that it's far beyond what we're seeing during this time period and what he's having to deal with in present time of his writing. He's looking far beyond that, hundreds of years beyond that. You say, well, what were the results of his preaching? Well, I already covered that. The results were simply that the temple was rebuilt. The people began to do exactly what Zechariah was telling them to do. But when you get to chapter number 9 through 11, there's an overthrow of kingdoms and the deliverance of Israel is on display. And then when you get to chapters 12, 13, and 14, you have Israel's victory ultimately with the Messiah. What an encouraging message. What a wonderful message that we have, the results of all that. But then the revelation that they have is this, there's eight visions. And I'm not going to preach through all of the eight visions. Everybody say amen right there. Hey, not that loud, praise God. I'm not going to preach through all those, but I want to list them through. I want you to look at these and I kind of make, jot a few notes down. There's a rider on a red horse. When you begin to look through that first chapter, you see a rider that's on a red horse and that pictures Israel's condition, the condition that they were in during the present time. Then there's another vision that comes. The second vision is four horses and carpenters that come. And that is actually world empires that are coming along and scattering Judah and scattering Israel and scattering Jerusalem. And, and then there's judgment that comes upon those nations for doing that to Israel Thank God that God knows, sees, and cares about the people of Israel. We need to know, care, and love the people of Israel, support the people of Israel. The people that the promise that God made to Abraham is still the same promise today. The Abrahamic covenant has not expired. We have that still. The third vision is a measuring line. A measuring line is this amazing thing where the man goes through and he's beginning to try to figure out what are the, what are the length and width and breadth and what are all these measurements of the city. And God says, you don't need to worry about that because you won't need walls because I'm going (laughs) to, I will be your walls. I will be your fortress. I will be a wall of fire for you. I will be the one that protects you. And these borders are not worried about. And then you get to Joshua, the high priest. And and that's a picture of these cleansed people, the people. And by the way, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus is all the same name that we have. And then the fifth one is the golden candlestick and the olive trees that you have. And that's an ideal picture of what God wants Israel to be and the people of God to be. We see that. And then we got to, to, to chapter number five is, is he says, What what do you see? And he said, I see a flying roll. Now, the first thing I thought of was a restaurant down in Alabama. And apparently y'all thought about the same thing. I thought about it, but it's not that, it's not that home of the throat rolls at all. Although I would love to go there and catch one of those big rolls. Hallelujah. We need to go, We field trip, praise God, next Wednesday night. Let's go. But we'd have a wonderful time. But actually, that's a role, so kind of like Ezekiel's role that he had. It's a, a judgment that's rolled up, a scroll that's rolled up, and he's rebuking sin, and, and from the word of God, it's being rebuked. And therefore, uh, we need to make sure and take note of what that is. Then we have the ephah and the woman that's a judgment against wickedness and, and uh, even a lot of people think that it is a, a, a judgment on the financial world system and the system that we have and the finances and the money and oh, be careful with that, praise God. And then the, the eighth one, the last vision that we have there at the end of chapter number six is the four chariots that have and then that's divine judgment that's coming upon Gentile nations. But then God says, and remember what he has to say. The Bible says that his name means one who remembers, and he wants to call, recall to remembrance a few things. Well, what does he want to do? That God is always watching. That God sees you in the midst of your trials, tribulations, your problems, your mountains that you're climbing, the valleys that you are trudging across, the, the rivers and the streams that you're trying to go cross So there those those things that God knows what's happening in your life. God knows and He is observing everything. When you actually begin to look at chapter number 1, that very first vision, He talks about armies of God, armies of angels that are riding through the myrtle trees and b- taking watch and making sure that they have seen what's going on. And they have been turned out of their land the people of israel and god says i know you're not in your land but i know i know where you are i have not lost you glory to god i'm fixing to get excited (laughs) you may think that you're in the middle of the worst time of your life but i I still remember i know what you're going through and i know what it's going to take to get you back to where you want to be hallelujah that ought to get you excited you know that God says, I know what's going on in your life, and I know what is happening in your life, but I know what it's going to take. I know exactly where you are, and I know where you're going to be 100 years from now, and I know where you're going to be from 50 years from now, and I know where you're going to be 10 years from now, and I know exactly what's going on in your life. Don't think that I'm I'm not powerful enough to bring you back. I know that you're cashed out. I know that you're in trouble, but I can bring you back to where you need to be power of God that he is watching and he's observing and he knows, and he, he knows the treatment that they're enduring and he knows. And what's amazing to me, brother Steve, is that he is still blessing, even though that they have failed utterly. They have, they have utterly failed him, but he's still blessing them. What a wonderful thought to be able to know that he's blessing even that, but then also God's not also not only just watching, but God is working. Don't you love those people that have a plan? They know 10 years from now what's going to be happening. They know five years from now what's going to be happening. I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I haven't asked my wife yet. Get in trouble for that one too, Brother Jerry. But so many times we, we have that. But God is, he will deliver Israel. He promises right here in the book of Zechariah, I will deliver you. I promise that I'm going to deliver you. Why am I promising that I'm going to deliver you? Because there's one that's coming. (laughs) There's one that's coming through your seed. There's one that's coming through your line. And you are the only people that I'm going to... Come on now. You're the only ones that I'm going to make sure that this person comes through, the promised one that he's going to come through. So therefore, you may feel like it's all over, but promised. Rest assured that God is on their side and God is delivering. And God, the same promise that God delivered them is the same promise that God delivers us every time that we need deliverance. And I'm thankful that we have, that he's going to deliver. Because why? The people of God are going to come through. God is going to come, that promised one is coming through the people of Israel. And then what's so striking to me is that God is not just the God of Israel. See, when He he chose the people of Israel, He didn't just walk off and leave everybody else. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. I'm excited about my own preaching. It's so awesome to know the fact that that God didn't just leave everybody else out and say, hey, you're not my people, you're not my kind, you're not the ones that I have chosen, you're not my family. Oh, no. Oh, no. You think about that, my four and no more? I don't need to get outside the church walls. I just need to worry about who's in here. That's not what God's saying. God still is God of the people out there too. God's still the God of the people that are in the neighborhoods across the street and right down the street and down the street over here and uh, five miles over that way and 20 miles where you live and 15 miles where you live and the direction that you're in. God is not just worried about the people that are here. He is worried about these people that are here in the sanctuary at Harvest Baptist Tabernacle and the people that are watching by way of the internet. But God is not only worried about just them, but God wants and desires to cares for all people, all kind. It doesn't matter where you come from. God loves you and cares for you. God is the God of all nations orchestrating and working behind the scenes and God of all nations and he he didn't abandon uh, just the people of, uh, unless you're people from Israel. Not only does he know where the people of Israel are, but he knows where the people of the church are. New Testament application, Old Testament truth. He knows where the people of the church and he knows how to make us up when comes that time. And we look through and we begin to go through and the world needs to turn back to God. And we need to have statesmen that worry, people that are worried about what God wants for the nations to do. I'm not going to get political because we're fixing to go into a political year next year. We're already in the middle of it. But I want you to think about this. I read this statement the other day and it rocked my world. It said, statementship is the art of finding out what direction Almighty God is going in and then getting things out of his way. You mean to tell me that the people of the people in our leadership should just say, Well, God, what direction do you want our country to go in? And then we'll make sure that we try to help and assist those things to be able to get out of the way that's contrary to what you want. That's exactly who the people that we need to vote for. Those people that say, God, what do you what direction do you want the world to go in? What direction do you want the United States of America to go in? See, because I believe that with all my heart, that a nation is only as great as as it sees God behind the scenes. Working and orchestrating all these things. And when we get to chapter number 9 through 14, we see the amazing Jesus Christ. We see him so plain. It's amazing to me. It's concerning Jesus Christ. And although he is not named, the details are so amazing to me. Now, I want you to look with me in chapter number, look with me in chapter number 9, chapter number 9, verse number 9. Zechariah chapter number 9, verse number 9. Now, this is where I'm going to have you skip around a few places. But at Zechariah chapter number 9, verse number 9, we see the king in person. The king that is in person. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. He is the one that's coming. Thank God that he is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king is coming unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass. And upon the coal of a foal of an ass. Now we all know in Matthew, Matthew. That this is the prophecy that's concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. He is coming. And this is the prophecy. 500 years. Before it ever took place. But what amazes me is the religious leaders began to get so upset and they had no idea, they had no reason to, to, to doubt what was going on. They should have recognized the scene that they saw. Why? Because those people were the ones that were the doctors and the lawyers and they were the ones and they should have known Zechariah chapter number 9 verse number 9. And then when the people when God was coming in, God Almighty and Jesus Christ was coming and riding in that way, riding on that uh, that donkey as he goes through and goes into that city and they were praising him. They should have recognized that that is the King of Kings. That is the Lord of Lords. That is the one that has been promised and thank God that we have him and we know that now. But they were so angry. They were so mad that some of the Pharisees said, Jesus, why don't you tell these people that are praising you, why don't you tell them to stop? And Jesus said, if I do that, the rocks are going to start crying out. I don't need to do that. I need to do allow them to do exactly what they are doing. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And i tell you that the rocks are going to immediately cry out. The people of the city were quoting Psalm chapter number 118. They were saying it this way. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of his house. Glory to God. We have a king that is coming. They see him. The king is actually in person. Now we know that the gospels talk about the life of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter number 2 gives us details about the birth of Jesus Christ. We don't know very much between the ages of 12 all the way up to 30 and those little times that we have, but we know that Jesus was still working behind the scenes and all of a sudden when John saw him and he came and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. All of a sudden, that's a great time that Jesus Christ came on the scene. And that people saw that. And you say, well, why is it so important that he was doing these sort of things? Well, it was a peaceful king during that time. During this time, Dad, there was a time that Jesus Christ was coming. And he wasn't coming in judgment. And he wasn't coming in power. And he wasn't coming to rule with an iron fist. He wasn't trying to rule with uh, any other way. He was just trying to beckon the people. Just come. Just accept me. Just come and accept me. Let me come and be your king. But then that peaceful king, it's a sign that we have. What is that sign? Look at he says, and uh, uh, he's lowly and he's riding upon an ass and upon the coal, the foal of an ass. Uh, We begin to look at that. In itself was a prophecy that that king was coming and kingship that was happening. The coal was this unrestrained and unbroken that nobody had ever ridden him before. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm scared of horses. And I definitely ain't getting on anything that hadn't been broken yet. I sure ain't gonna take the time to be able to figure that one out. I don't know how to do that. I don't think. But thank, thank God that there's a reason. Hey, there wasn't a need for anybody to break him because I believe, brother Earl, I believe with all my heart, when that little, when that little donkey walked up next to Jesus Christ and Jesus put his hand on him, that donkey said, that's him. That's him. I get the honor, glory to God, hallelujah. I have the honor of bringing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one that created me. The one that has allowed me to be able to live. The the time that I'm able to come, that is Him. That's Jesus Christ. That's the Lord. That's the Savior. That's the one. But why a cult? A king that's coming in peace that we have. The kings of Israel during that time, they didn't ride donkeys. They rode horses. Why? Because they would come and when they were in power and when they were coming to make war, they were coming. But Jesus Christ, the peaceful king, is coming during a time where he's riding on a donkey. What was that? That was a sign of peace. That I'm not coming to make war with you, but I'm coming to bring peace to you. Glory to God. This is amazing things that we look. Jesus came in peace and not to make war. He rode that animal of peace. But then also he's the praise king. I want you to turn with me real quickly to Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter number 21, verse number 8. The Bible says this. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. And others cut down the branches of the trees and strawed them in the way. The branches during that time, those branches that they had were tokens of rejoicing. They were tokens of praise. They would take their clothes and they would give it. They were praising him, the praise king, the peaceful king. They saw the king in person. They were excited about that, but only for a time. Because we know the rest of the story. Turn back with me to Zechariah chapter number 11. Zechariah chapter number 11, verses number 12 and 13. Zechariah chapter number 11, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says this, And I said unto them, If you think me good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed me for my price. 30 pieces of silver and the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter and a goodly price that I was prize of, 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 of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now we all know exactly that the portrayal of Judas was what 30 pieces of silver. But we all know, too, that this happened, that, that Judas began to betray. He betrayed him, betrayed him with a kiss. And as he gave that kiss to him, they gave him that 30 pieces of silver. He was able to come. Then he saw what began to happen. Brother Joe, they began to see what happened to, Joe, uh, to Jesus. And, and he said, I, "Now I regret this. I regret doing this. I don't want to do this. I take this money back. And he, this is amazing to me. The hypocrites of the people of the temple at the time. They paid 30 pieces of silver to get Jesus. But when Jesus or Judas brought it back and gave it back to them, they said, "Well, we can't take this. This is blood money." Well, you were able to take it, touch it on the way out. Why in the world couldn't you touch it on the way back in? But they didn't want to do that. Why? And then they go through a little further. What happens? They say, "Well, we'll just take it to this uh, field and we'll buy a field for the paupers that they'll be able to." And guess who owned the field? A potter. Oh, wow. So you mean to tell me that Zechariah chapter number eleven, verse number twelve and thirteen is another prophecy that the promise that that king that the king that was provided for us, Boy, through a sacrificial way, the prophecy speaks of this betrayal and and he took and he betrayed Jesus, and I, I want I want I'm going to hit this real quickly and I got to hurry, but he he regretted, but we don't see repentance, and listen to me very carefully. There is a big difference between. Regret and repentance. There's a vast difference between regretting doing something and repenting for doing something. But the sacrificial lamb that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ, He was the one, the sacrificial lamb that He was given for us, the Lamb that was the King that was provided for us. Hebrews chapter number 10 says it this way in verse number 4, For it was not possible that the blood of wolves and goats should take away sins. Hebrews chapter number 10 verse number 12 says, But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. You mean to tell me that he was able to make a sacrifice that was sufficient? The sacrificial land that was sufficient for each and every one of us. The king was provided. He didn't only just provide the, the, the sacrifice, he provided himself for the sacrifice. God's wrath was satisfied in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and Jesus died in our place and, and, and that sacrifice for our life, His life for ours and, and then we takes the punishment, the wrath of God and we don't have to endure the wrath of God any longer. Why? Because Jesus endured that for each and every one of us. The King was provided for us. But I want to take you one more place in Zechariah. I'm trying to hurry. Zechariah chapter number 13. The book of Zechariah chapter number 13 verse number 6. Look what the Bible says Zechariah 13:6 We see the savior pierced And one shall say unto him What are these wounds in thy hands And he shall answer Those which I was wounded in the house of my friends A king provided The house of my friends now, I'll go ahead and I'll say this because I just I, there's no reason really to, to worry about this. But some people say, well, it's talking about your whole arm, so it could be. But our Bible says hands and that Hebrew word actually there can be meaning to up to your appendage, down to your hands. And it's exactly what God did. Willingly laid out his hands for us that we can have peace with God. What a wonderful thought. Here, he, those that had witnessed and, and, and seen and, and praised him earlier, now he's just watching them being pierced. But then I want you to look in Zechariah chapter number 14, the last few minutes of our Bible study here tonight. Zechariah chapter number 14. These are awesome verses. These he's got me excited, I'll be honest with you. Zechariah chapter number 14, verse number 1. Zechariah 14.1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses uh, rifled, uh, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall uh, be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. Glory to God. And As when he fought in the day of battle. But look at verse number four. Here we go. And his feet shall stand in that day. Now, what is that day? This is far beyond, we, we, we're we looking forward to the rapture of the church. We're looking forward to that time. But this is far beyond even that. That's after the seven year tribulation has already gone forth and now God is coming back in power to judge all nations. In chapter number 14 verse number 4 in the book of Zechariah it says and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west and there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall uh, move for, uh, toward the north and half of it toward the south we see this in the great power that god is coming in the power the the the, the power in the the king in power begins to take place here we we saw that we key, saw the king in person and we saw the king that was provided but now we are looking forward to a day even for us that has not happened yet but there's coming a time brother matt i'm looking forward to the day now you say now brother shane will i get to see any of that will i get to be there absolutely. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation that those that are robed in white, those are going to be the ones that are there to be able to witness that. There's coming a day (laughs) where the king that was in person, but the king that was provided is going to be the king, the same king that comes in power and takes over and begins to judge and judge this world in a great and a mighty way. Zechariah is making it, laying out plainly. Thank God that the people that have saved by the blood of Jesus Christ don't have to go through that wrath, that tribulation period, but we're also safe during this time as well. This is the day of conquering. This is the day of power. Not in a lowly stable. He's not coming, not being on a donkey, but he's coming on a white horse in judgment and in power and in authority, and God will set up his kingdom. What a wonderful thought. That's an overcoming power. Power. Now, I I, I pinned down, I began to start looking through. I I went through the book of Revelation and I began to see some verses. and And I thought, there's no better way than to finish this up with just reading some scripture. So I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter number 17. Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter number 17. I want you to look with me there in verse number 14. These shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them. Glory to God. The Lord, the, the, the Lamb shall overcome them, and, and He is the Lord of lords, and is the King of kings, and they that are with Him are, are called and chosen and faithful. Guess who that is? Hallelujah. Look with me in chapter number 18, Revelation chapter number 18, verse number two. Revelation chapter number 18, verse number 2, it says, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has uh, become the habitation of devils, and the hold of uh, every fallen spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful thing. But thank God that the mighty Babylon with a strong voice, he's saying that they are destroyed. Why? In power, the overcoming power that God has. Look with me in verse number 20 of the same chapter, Revelation 18, verse number 20. Rejoice over her, speaking about Babylon, thou heaven and the holy apostles and prophets. Look at this. For God hath avenged you on her. It's just getting better. It's getting better. If you really start to look at these Bible verses in the context, look at Revelation chapter number 19. The very first part of the revelation, chapter number 19, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb begin to take place. But look with me in verse number 11, chapter number 19, verse number 11. And I saw heaven open behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and the righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and his head uh, were with many crowns and he had a uh, name uh, written and there was no uh, no man that knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him after in white horses and clothed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth goeth forth a sharp sword with the, uh, with it he should smite the nations and he should rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the almighty and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written the king of kings and the lord of lords are you seeing are you seeing what we're getting through here the power of the king that he has. Look with me in 19. Look at chapter number 19, verse number 20. This is, my, this is when it gets real good for me, Brother Earl. Look at verse number 20. It says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought many miracles before him with which he deceived them and that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone." In kingly power that God has, the power that God has, here He is. I want you to look with me. Keep on going. Look with me in chapter number twenty, uh, verse number twenty-one, in verse number chapter number nineteen. And the remnant were slain with the sword with him that sat upon the horse and the sword proceeded out of his mouth and the fowls were filled with all their flesh. But look at verse number 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand and he laid hold of the dragon. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Everybody ought to just shout right there. So thank God we know who that is. We know who the dragon is. The old serpent is. We know who that one is. The devil, Lucifer, the one that's been fighting us day and night, night and day all along. But thank God that there's coming a devil that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. And I love this. Shut him up. Glory to God. And shut He's the accuser. You remember that? He's supposed to be the accuser. He's supposed to be the one that's always saying, Hey, you remember what Shane did? You remember what he did? You remember what happened back then? And you remember what happened? Just thank God that one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come, the angel, the strong angel is coming down, and binding that old devil, the serpent, Satan himself, and is going to shut him up. Hallelujah. I'm getting excited. I know I didn't say shut up. I said shut him up. And set, what? A seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. There's a little something that's coming up. But then you go forth, you look back, there's an overwhelming power. Overwhelming power. Why? Because what we see is that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, in chapter number 21, look at this with me. Chapter number 21 in the book of Revelation. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was... No more sea. And I saw, and I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Hallelujah. But it gets better. In verse number four, and God shall wipe away. All tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. And neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that a brighter day that we had to look forward to? Isn't that a wonderful thing that we can know? But at the end. Oh, go, go back with me. I done closed my Bible. Revelation chapter number 20. I always heard that you when you, when you see a, a preacher close their Bible, they, that means they're done. Not me. I had to open it back up. But look at chapter number 22. Verse number 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What better way, when it all comes to fruition, when it all comes to the very end, the king in power says, I'm here and I'm going to wipe away your tears. And I'm going to make you know, provide a place where you're not going to have to worry about saints, uh, any more sin and no more sorrow no more pain, no more death, no more any of those things, no more cancer, no more any of these things that uh, we all are afraid of to hear. But thank God, God is saying the king in power. And you know what it is? The king that's in power there. Brother Jerry is already the king in power now. Two things, Brother Shane, come to my mind when I look at this scripture. When I look through this book, this this comes to me. It says, number one, two imperative thoughts. What is it? Be right with God. Be right with God. Number two, know where you are going after death. Those are two imperative thoughts that we have. But boy, what a wonderful day that's going to be. I know y'all can sing with me. There is coming a day.